0: And welcome back to CNBC's continued coverage of markets and turmoil. I am Brian Sullivan, and we've got options action coming up for you in just a couple of minutes. But first, we do want to bring in a special guest somebody who back last April said that the SP 500 could be setting up for a 40% decline. That is Scott Minard, global CIO of Guggenheim Partners, just out with a new paper called The Faustian Bargain. And Scott, welcome again. Obviously, you did not foresee this global pandemic coming. But it's not just the pandemic, is it right that the market structure, the debt loads, everything else that was already in place, the pandemic may have just been that chip on the Jenga stack, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brian, if you want to think of it as a a house of cards that was built uh, by the policymakers in order to bail out the financial system during the crisis, you know, one day uh you know a breeze came along and knocked over one of the cards and it's bringing it's bringing the whole house down
0: well the house i mean listen scott the equity market rose 13 percent this week i understand we're still well down on the year seems like the <laughs> fed has short up the credit markets a little bit but it sounds like you're not be- believing that the bottom is in
1: yet no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, Brian, when we look at um, some of the data that we're getting with unemployment insurance claims and so on and so forth, uh, you know, it would suggest that um, you know this we're going to well we're going to get to a place worse than the financial crisis economically. Uh, unemployment perhaps around fifteen percent. Uh, you know, an, an economic contraction uh, for the year, uh, let's say maybe in the neighborhood of ten percent. Um, These are pretty nasty numbers. And when you look at valuations on stocks, um, the degree of overvaluation where we were uh, at the peak just, you know, six weeks ago uh, versus the peak in valuation that occurred in 07 um, has been nowhere, uh, has been much more extreme. And the decline we got from uh, the downturn in 07 was a 55% drawdown in stocks. Uh, we've been around 34% so far. Uh, it just doesn't seem that, uh, uh, given the economic backdrop, uh, that the uh, uh, prices have adjusted to reflect economic reality.
0: Yeah. Oh, but I'll push back a little bit, my friend, because I remember in September of 2008 going down to D.C. and having meetings with congressional leaders to explain to them what a credit default swap was. And then months went by before we got really anything done. They were slow. This time, in the course of a week, we got the Fed throwing probably seven to ten trillion dollars at it with leverage and a two trillion dollar relief bill. Aren't you encouraged at all by the speed? And I'm hard, I can't believe I'm saying this—the speed at which DC reacted.
1: Uh, look, you, you Brian, it's a lot more encouraging uh, than the financial crisis. And you know, one thing that we identified uh, years ago. Was the reaction function by the policymakers uh, this time around in the next recession would be much faster than the financial crisis? Uh, that you know gave us a lot of confidence that the downturn would be much less severe uh, than the downturn of the financial crisis. But nevertheless, even with a mild downturn, uh, we would expect to see a, a you know about a trillion dollars worth of investment grade debt go to below investment grade. Uh, we would expect to see default rates on corporate bonds uh, get into double digits. Um, and now there's a pretty good argument to be made that, uh, you know, this is more severe than just a mild downturn. And the the tools the policymakers are using, I, I'll put them into the category of necessary but not sufficient. Um, David Zervos, who you just had on, a very, very smart guy in my mind, uh, you know, made some observations about, you know, things like asset-backed securitization, But those markets are completely dysfunctional right now. Um, so there, there is no liquidity there. And, and we rely upon the securitization markets uh, to provide capital for uh, not only uh, credit cards but, but, and Scott, automobiles. Scott, we heard. I'm sorry for,
0: to jump in on you, buddy. I, you know, it's right. harder to jump in when we're both remote. But I, I I understand what you're saying, and some of the stuff I heard anecdotally last week at the beginning of this week was downright scary. But I've also heard that things are opening
1: up a little bit in terms of liquidity. Are you not seeing that from your perch? Uh, yeah, we're definitely seeing it, but it's it's a world of haves and have-nots. Uh, there, the have-nots are in the high yield bond market. The haves are in the investment grade bond market. Um, you know, okay, we've got we've got that propped up, but. The um, you know the bond markets in the United States are a lot bigger and broader than corporate bonds, and a large swath of uh, of the bond market is still not propped up, and uh, you know it's going to take a, a massively I think a, a massively larger set of programs uh, to address all of these pockets of illiquidity uh, in order to yeah. get everything to stabilize.
0: Uh, you put out a paper I want to read, it, and you'll forgive me, i got to look at my screen. I'm just kind of flying blind here. Uh, this is part of the paper you put out, I believe is up on CNBC.com as well. The total debt of U.S. non-financial businesses has grown by about $6 trillion since 2007, while cash on hand has only grown by $1.7 trillion. A big driver of that debt growth has been buying back stock. How angry or annoyed should the investing and American public be by that statistic,
1: uh, Brian. You know, first off, um, let's turn to the policymakers. Um, the policymakers in Washington ran policy to encourage this behavior from corporate America, and uh, you know, as a way to successfully drive up the, the market prices. Uh, the disturbing part is when you start to see whole industries like airlines. Who bought 45 trillion dollars of stock back, or sorry, 45 billion of dollars of stock back over the last decade, and now they want a 50 billion dollar bailout program? Uh, I I think there's going to be a popular backlash against this, and as the programs uh, potentially have to expand to bail out, uh, you know, the hotels and uh, the car rental companies and the energy companies and the whole bit. Uh, I think that uh, Main Street and middle America is going to look at it and say, yeah. once again, Washington's saving the fat cat and not caring about us.
0: Because because the bottom line is you can't blame anybody for what's happening with the pandemic, but we can go back and say we should never have built up tr- trillions, tens of trillions in debt.
1: Is that shorter, Maynard? Yeah, that's right. And by the way, Brian, you that, that, know I've been, I've been out there lecturing on this for uh, umpteen years now that this would ultimately be the crisis yeah. we would face. And, yeah. and uh, as we used to say back in the mountains where I grew up, the chickens are coming home to roost.
0: Scott Minard, Guggenheim, uh, pieces up uh, on your website and cnbc.com as well. I urge everybody to check it out. You have a great weekend, my friend. Stay safe and healthy. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Brian. All right, we're going to take a short break here after that. We've got Options Action coming up with Mike and Tony and the gang. So sit tight. Options Action, up next. All right, welcome back to CNBC's continued coverage of markets and turmoil. But we're still doing Options Action tonight. Kind to throw that in. We know all you options traders out there I love this show, and I think now is maybe more important and timely than ever because options can be a great way to mitigate risk and buy upside if you think we're going to turn around. So really pleased to welcome in a gang. Of course, you know we got Mike Co, Tony Zhang, and Carter Worth as well on a day where the Dow fell 915 points, still up 13% this week, but cold comfort, as we noted, still well down on the year. The 10-year note at 0.7%, and oil continues its slide as this global price war rages on all right guys we appreciate you joining us here carter worth i want to begin with you uh technically this market i mean i'm not even i can't even comprehend the kinds of charts that you might be looking at right now given these massive swings but is there anything out there that suggests to you that a bottom could be close have we hit it already and if not where it might be
2: absolutely thanks brian and uh just for what it's worth i'm With Mr. Leonard, it's uh, very much an instance, I believe, of not over. But let's look at some uh, brief tables and stats and then maybe discuss after that. So what you have on your screen there is uh, all instances, and I've given top three, where the market has rallied on a three-session basis up as much as it recently has. And what you see there is simply what has happened one week later, one month later, three months later. Now, there are not that many instances of this. Uh, but if you look at the top 15 or 20 times where you get a, a two, three-day rally, it's 10, 12, in this case, 17, 18 the, percent, the week later, the month later, the 3 months later, it's not particularly encouraging, which is to say that the ricochet stalls. And if you look at some of the great periods in 73, 74 bear market, which is a 48 percenter, uh, if you look at the 2000, 2000, um, 3, bear market, or the 07, 09 bear market, all 50 percenters. There were multiple instances where you have these 20% plus-minus rallies, only to give it all back. But the the issue is this, that we know bear markets are characterized by sharp counter-trend rallies. Now, in one day, of course, one print will be the low print, and that's very hard to obviously figure out. A lot of people are trying to say that now. In fact, there's a so-called new bull, according to certain market observers, Uh, not in that camp at all. I would just point out that what we're seeing for the first time is a debate. Meaning, the first time in six weeks, there's now, there was no debate over the last five, six weeks. Everyone is in agreement. We got a big problem. Sell. And now we have a proper debate, right? There are those on one side who are looking out two to three years. They're thinking, I can look through a recession or a depression. I can try to look through double-digit unemployment, 15, 20% earnings decline, and I can buy here because I can think, you know what? Hotels will still be in business. Las Vegas will still open. And then there's the other group, and they're matched off evenly, right, who is still selling. Or, Brian, people who couldn't sell because it was down so quickly, who are about to get their statements, who when they see what happened to them, they're like, wow, I should get out of this. So it's a pretty good moment of almost perfect equilibrium. But bottoms, and I'll end here, bottoms are really, in principle, something that's developmental, incremental, sequential, not really something that's Impulsive, uh, impetuous, and rash. Yeah. And as of now, this huge ricochet good. is those things. By my word, impetuous, rash.
0: Good, pr- good day. practical advice, Carter Worth. Uh, Mike, how, what'd you make of the week?
3: Yeah, I, I don't think today. You know, the performance that we saw either today or in the days leading up to it are all that surprising. You know, one of the things that we got was uh, relatively quick. Actually, a very quick, I would say, response from Washington on top of the monetary policy that we saw the Fed Institute earlier. And both, in both cases, you're talking about really substantial action. And I think the market viewed that positively. Of course, you know, a lot of times when we see this kind of volatility and we see these types of moves, they're responding to the news of the moment. That was the news that we had and the news was good. Of course, we still have the possibility that there's gonna be some additional information coming down the pike. Uh, obviously, there is limited cash balances available for businesses that are in significant distress. Aid from Washington is one thing, but really it's going to take investors a little bit of time to digest just how large the implications are. And for some industries, they're substantial and there isn't necessarily a recovery uh, in immediate view. And I think examples of that include the energy sector. And one final point I would put on it okay. is that you know, we have some names that have not really been hit that hard. When you take basically the move of the market overall into consideration, and I look at things like semiconductors, which are basically where they were six months ago, obviously, we've seen a lot of bad news since that time. And I don't really think that all of it has been priced into some of those stocks yet.
0: Yeah. And Tony, you know, people listen to this network, especially in a time like this, and they hear people say stocks are likely to be higher in three months. And there's others like Scott Miner who think stocks could continue to go down in the near term. How do we use options as a good hedging strategy or even its own investing strategy in such a time of uncertainty?
4: Yeah, so that's the question that we've been asked the most this week is have we bottomed and what should we look at in terms of positioning going forward? Now, I think the road to recovery is really the unknown at this point. You know, we have a lot of knowns that I think will stem some of the sell-off that we're currently seeing. But the unknowns that we're going to see, whether it's economic data, whether it's the earnings season, that stuff is going to trickle in. And I don't see any of that type of data causing the type of panic sell-off that we're still going to be seeing. And liquidity is still a major issue. So from my perspective, as long as the S&P 500 is currently still above 235 I'm in more of a neutral view on the markets. And I think that there's still room to the upside to about 273 on the S&P 500 to grind our way up to that price. And the consensus right now is still looking at a recovery somewhere in Q3 and Q4. And that's really where I see some of the downside risks to that type of consensus as we potentially might stumble on our way there, whether it's here in the U.S. or globally. So I'm inclined to buy to myself some protection using put options going out to the end of Q3 because that's when we're looking at the recovery. And if we look at implied volatility, September quarterly options are actually quite reasonably priced at 35% implied volatility versus the April options on the front front month weeklies are trading at double that, 71%. So the trade I'm looking to do here is actually a calendar spread. I'm buying the September quarterly options, 255 puts for about $26.10. I'm selling the April 3rd weeklies against that to 255 puts collecting nine dollars and sixty cents net net paying only sixteen dollars and fifty cents to buy myself protection to the to all the way out to q3 and i'm selling the april apple money puts because i i'm expecting that this market will grind a little higher i'm looking for those puts to expire mm-hmm. worthless i'm collecting more than a third of the premium of these september puts so i'm really being i'm able to collect a decent amount of, of premium. And what I'm looking to do is as the markets grind higher, I'm going to continue selling puts and hopefully buy myself some protection out to September without paying a whole lot of premium here.
0: Okay, so Mike, two things. I want you to comment on Tony's trade, but I want to, I want, I'm going to date myself a little bit because I was broadcasting doing this in 2001. I was doing it in 2007, 2008. And I, and tell me if you agree with this. When so many people keep asking was that or is this the bottom, that generally means it wasn't. Would you agree with that? And then comment on Tony's trade.
3: It's a great comment. And uh, that's exactly right, actually, because think about what that question means. Every single time somebody is asking you, is this the bottom? Is this my buying opportunity? That means that people are still thinking that they should be looking for opportunities to buy stocks. Um, And when you have that situation, you haven't had what we frequently refer to as capitulation. And so I haven't seen capitulation. You know, That's usually when marked on an intraday basis when, when you see those big outside reversal type moves where you see a big flush and then all of a sudden the last of the sellers is washed out and there's nothing left but buyers, maybe only a handful, but that can be enough. So I agree for sure that when people are asking, should I buy now, should I buy now, Um, usually the answer to that question is probably not. Uh, With respect to the trade, uh, I do like calendar spreads a lot. And I do like the fact that it's selling near-dated implied volatility, which is very high. The caution that I would put for people is that when you have these types of trades on, it isn't a hedge, a meaningful hedge, if we see a big downside flush at this point. It's really a way to own longer-term protection and try to sell the overpriced near-dated protection against it. Uh, Sometimes I like diagonals better because if you get a big move in your chosen direction with a calendar spread, sometimes if it goes too far too fast, you actually don't end up making any money or can even lose some. With diagonals, you can sometimes ensure that you take advantage of the dynamic but don't get a situation where if it moves too far too fast, you end up being a loser. Uh, And that's a tough place to be when you get the direction right but the trade is wrong
0: yeah certainly is mike co mike i appreciate the compliment thank you very much all right we're not done in options action after the break if you own apple like so many of you probably do and you've been frustrated with the move down it's caught up in the selling can you use options to protect your apple investment and maybe probably still a profit you've had long term we'll tell you how to do just that coming up next right here on options action stick around all right welcome back to options action of course apple pretty much the world's most widely owned stock has got caught up in the market selling. It is down big in the year 2020. So for all of you out there that either own it or maybe are thinking about owning it, let's talk about it. Mike Coe, is there some kind of option strategy for people who want to protect what has largely probably still been a money-making investment?
3: Yeah. I mean, for most people, it's going to be. Obviously, Apple has fallen pretty sharply uh, since its peak. And we saw in February in the market's all-time high. I mean, the thing was close to 330 bucks or thereabouts. And I think today we're somewhere between 250 and 60 so that's a that is certainly a decline. But as the stock has declined, options premiums have certainly increased. Here are two things I would ask people to keep in mind. So the first is, Because Apple has an exceptionally strong balance sheet, when we think about businesses that are at risk, this is not one of them. Uh, I also think, though, that it's reasonable to believe that their business is going to be impaired like this, just like everybody's. I mean, the purchase of iPhone, which is their biggest product, is going to be hurt by this, and purchases of other things, at the very least, are likely to be deferred. So what people can do is try to take advantage of that elevated premium by selling some calls against their stock position. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people will know that I was actually short it. I'm not anymore, but what you can do is you could sell perhaps the May 275 calls. When I was looking at that earlier today, those were about 11 dollars 5 And basically what you're doing here is just looking to collect some of that elevated options premium. You're holding on to your long stock position. And the idea here is that the stock is unlikely to get through that 275 strike yeah. price between now and May expiration, and certainly not above 280 Six and a half or so, which is where you'd actually be worse off for doing this than simply owning the stock, and then just keep doing that. You know, it's, it's an investment strategy, not a trading strategy. People who are long-term holders of Apple did so as an investment, and they can maintain it as an investment.
0: All right, good stuff, Carter. Very quickly, how does Apple look technically?
2: I mean, one believes in GARP uh, growth at a reasonable price, having dropped thirty-five percent, exactly the same as the market, and yet much better long-term prospects than the market this is an opportunity. Uh, I think Apple is the kind of thing that is delivering alpha. As it's sold off, it's, it's basically doing better than most stocks. You've got things like JP Morgan down 70, and Boeing down 80. So uh, I'm a buyer, actually. And I think one is well-served in certain instances to buy, buy risk here. Carter
0: Worth, a buyer of Apple. I kind of like it, Carter. Thank you. All right, up next, your final calls.
4: Super fast. Final call time. Carter.
2: All roads lead to gold.
4: Gold and silver. Tony. I think markets are going to keep grinding higher. I want to buy longer term protection to Q3 by putting calendars on SPY. Mike.
3: Apple's business is not permanently impaired. You can sell some calls against your long positions there.
0: All right. Thanks for watching. Mad Money starts now.